you'd like to borrow a Bible, you're going to raise your hand up high. We'll bring a Bible to you, an usher will bring one to you. When you're done, you can just put it on the uh, pew when you're done. I know you may not know the five people being baptized today after the service, but I would encourage you to go anyway. It's just something encouraging to hear someone give their testimony of how they came to Jesus and to watch them be baptized. It's not going to take much time. It won't take too long. Just hang around and talk for a little bit. And on your, Even if you're going back to campus, it's on your way back to campus. I would encourage you to stop on by for that baptism. It's going to be really cool. Now, the last two weeks we have been in the book of Malachi... And at the end of November, we will switch over to the book of Matthew. As typically, our church, we go through books of the Bible. But throughout this year, we are going to stop every now and then and talk about the heart of our church. And this happens to be one of those Sundays where we're going to stop and talk about the heart of our church. And the, the way we talk about the heart of our church is we use the language of ethos. When we talk about ethos, we're talking about the culture or the character of our church, the blood that pumps through our veins and it's the air that we breathe. Now, in some sense, I could say the ethos of all the churches around the world is, is the same, right? It's the same. But in another sense, there is, there's some specific to our own local church where the ethos is expressed of who we are and who we want to be. And we have framed talking about ethos at our church in five ethos statements. And so throughout the year, we're going to look at these five statements that are going to explain of who we are in our local setting as followers of Jesus Christ. And today's a really good one. Today is the concept of invested sojourner. If you don't know what that means, you will by the time we're done. Invested sojourner. In order to look at this, we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah. See if you can find the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 29. It is before Malachi. It is after Isaiah. Look in your table of contents. If you cannot find it, sneak a peek off the person next to you. Tell them to find it for you. Jeremiah chapter 29. I'm not quite sure if I've ever preached in Jeremiah before. This should be fun. Let's all stand as I read Jeremiah 29. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'm just going to read verses 4 through 7. Jeremiah 29 verses 4 through 7. Let's start. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. You may be seated. Last week I was reading about this lady who was trying to sell her home in Arizona. I don't know if any of you own property in Arizona. Probably not a good time to be selling a home, period. But she was struggling with selling this home. And it sat on the market for a really long time, totally unsold. Like many homeowners, 
she found herself during this time in a state of limbo. You know, she still lived there. She still owned the home, but she was trying to move on to her next phase in life. But she couldn't because her house was sitting on the market. So she found herself in limbo. She didn't even try to join a gym because she was about to move. She didn't make new friends because she was about to move. And she started to disengage from her old friends and disengage from her old activities because her mind and her heart was on the moving van heading out of town. She's moving on. Problem. Her house just sat there. Unsold. Month after month. And it lasted there probably close to a year. Then after a year, one day she got a call and someone was interested in buying her house. They ended up making an offer. She accepted, sold her house, and she thought she would be so pumped and so excited. But she totally wasn't. Because for a whole year, she put her life on hold. She wanted to move on, but she wasn't able. And so she was stuck there for a year. And she was really mad and disappointed. That's the way she lived her life for a year. And what's interesting about many of you in here, if I could sit down and have a conversation with you, you would describe your life right now as in a state of limbo. Many of you are not from this area, correct? You're here. You are here to accomplish a goal and then you're ready to move on. And, and you see your time here as a means to the end of your next phase of life. And so if, if I pressed you a bit and said, look, what if you could move on to your next phase of life without doing this one? How many of you would take me up on that offer? Yeah. Let me just kind of pass on through this one and just jump to the next one, right? But, but even those of you who are permanent residents here, you plan on sticking around here for a long time, you're not just passing through, maybe you're thinking about your next stage of life. If you could just get from this stage of life to your next one, then everything would be okay. You just want to get there. I, I remember meeting with a man when I was 20 years old. He's a wise old man. And he sat down with me when I was 20 and he said, Jason, quit trying to be 40 at 20. Because I was 20, but I was transitioning to 40. I was thinking ahead. I was living in the future. I was ready to get there. And now in about a year, I'm going to be 40. And now I'm moving on to 60. Yeah? You with me? You know, you're in this life phase, but you want to transition quickly to the next one and and keep, keep moving on. But the reality is, when you live like that, when you live in that limbo phase... You, you fail to be all there. You fail to be all there in your current life situation because you're, you're mentally checking out and ready to move on. But let me just kind of tell you something. Where you're at right now, that's where you're at, right? That's where God has placed you at this time in history. You don't know about tomorrow. You don't know about next week, next year. I'm not saying you can't make plans, but you... You're here now. And God has called you to this place, this time, this phase in your life, right now, to live for His glory. And that's all you know. You're alive today. At this phase in life. At this place. To live for His glory. And that was the message to the Israelites. Who found themselves... Not in their homeland, 
they were exiled in this place called Babylon. It was around the 6th century. And God had called them to Babylon because he was punishing them. It was discipline upon them for their waywardness. And he deported them there for their sin. And for those of you who have been studying Malachi with us, you wonder where this fits into the map, the timeline. Well, Jeremiah happened to maybe about 125 years uh, way before Malachi. Malachi is about 125 years plus later. So Jeremiah backtrack. Malachi has them back into the land after the deportation. But right now, they are in Babylon. A good chunk of the Israelites were taken there by the Babylonians. And contained in these few verses that we're going to look at today are a portion of a letter that Jeremiah wrote to the exiles while they were in Babylon. And this is such an exciting portion of scripture that we're going to study it this morning. And for those of you who are in ethos communities, you're going to study the same passage this week in your ethos community. Uh, you're going to start a new, a new type of study, a new curriculum uh, by Timothy Keller called Gospel and Life. And this week we're going to study the exact same passage. So I want to create some type of continuity between the message this morning and what you'll be studying this week. And so I'll adapt... Um, and adopt from the format of the gospel in life. So, for those of you who love three-point sermons, this is your sermon. I hardly ever preach three-point sermons. I'm the most unorganized sermon writer in the world. So, if you like taking notes, this is your day. Here are your three points. The three points of this passage are settle in the city, grow in the city, seek the city's peace and prosperity. Settle in the city, grow in the city, seek the city's peace and prosperity. Let's jump right in with settle in the city. Jeremiah 29, 4 through 5. Look at it. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. It seems like such a simple command, right? It's like, okay, settle down, build houses, live in them, plant a garden, eat the produce. You're like, well, what's the big deal? It's such a simple command, but it's a counter-prophecy. It's a counter-prophecy to what they were hearing at the time. Because what they were hearing at the time from false prophets was, hey, you're just going to be here for a little bit, and then we're going to go back to our land quickly. There was a false prophet, Hananiah. He said, look, we're just going to be here two years. And then Babylon's going to be crushed, and we're going to go back to our land. And God is saying through Jeremiah, oh no, oh no. You're not going to be here for two years. You're going to be here for 70 years. I'm going to punish you and discipline you in Babylon for 70 years. So you don't need to act like you're on a little extended vacation for a little short-term stay. You need to get ready for a long-term investment. Settle down. Build houses. Live in them. Plant gardens. Eat their produce. The Israelites were to set up their life as sojourners. Sojourners. You know what a sojourner is? It's a person who's a, a resident with their country and home of origin elsewhere. So they're, they're not 
tourists passing through. They're not natives, but they live there, but that's not their home of origin. They're moving on eventually, hopefully, to somewhere else. That's, they're from someplace else. And many of you are sojourners to the Evanston area. You've come here to go to school. You've come here because you want to take a job in the big city. But I would say, let me look at you. Hmm. 80% of you, this is not your final stopping place, at least in your own mind. You are sojourning. You're passing through for a time before you move on to your more desired destination. So whether or not you plan to move on, 100% of you eventually, you know, whether or not you plan to move on, I'm talking to all of you now collectively. All of you, if you're a Christian, which I don't know if you all are, if you are a Christian, get this, you're not going to believe it. The Bible calls you a sojourner. Are you tracking with me? If you're a Christian, the Bible calls you a sojourner. Your citizenship is not here. It's in heaven. Let me give you a verse. Philippians 3.20. It's a good one. Philippians 3.20 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the book of 1 Peter calls us um, strangers in the world. You're a stranger in the world. The book of 1 Peter calls us pilgrims in the world. Uh, the book of 1 Peter in 2.11 calls us exiles and sojourners, which means this world is not our home, and we are looking and living our lives focused on our home, which is our next move toward heaven. Now, if you don't get this, I want to make sure you get this. Because this may be a new concept to some of you. Maybe some of you are not Christians. Maybe some of you have just become Christians. And you're like, what are you talking about? I live at Evanston. All right? This is my home here. I don't know what you're talking about. No, your true home, your true citizenship is in heaven. Because before we became Christians, we were part of this world, this domain of darkness, under the control of the evil one. We were separated from God because God is holy and we're sinful and unrighteous. We couldn't bridge this gap. But God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life that we could not live, die a substitutionary death on the cross in our place, was buried, rose again, victoriously over sin, Satan, and death. Now, all those who are in here, individuals, if you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be reconciled to a holy God. Now, if you do this, you will have a transfer. This is so cool. You will transfer from the kingdom of darkness over to the kingdom of light. You'll have your citizenship removed from the kingdom of darkness, and now you will become a, a citizen of heaven. But while you're left on this earth, you're a sojourner. You're, you're living in the now of the kingdom, and yet the not yet of the kingdom. You're living, as it, as it were, between two worlds. If you're a believer, you are a sojourner on this earth with your citizenship in heaven. And this means, whether you're in Evanston, if you're in this area for seven months, seven years, or 70 years, God has 
made you a sojourner. Your ultimate home, get this, your ultimate home is not your next move unless you die. Right? Your ultimate home is not your next move unless you die. Your ultimate home is in heaven. And while you're here, no matter where you're at, you're a sojourner. You're moving about. Your ultimate home is with the Lord Jesus. And he's called you to invest here now. This means you've got to be careful. This means you've got to be careful of creating an idol of the next. You've got to be careful of creating idolatry out of the next move, out of the next phase of life. You could say, if I could just move on, things would be so much better than they are right now. And so you create this, this fantasy world of the next. And if you're not careful, you can make it an idol. My wife and I, for the past 18 months, have been pursuing an international adoption. Crazy ups and downs, unbelievable waiting, you know, waiting to move on to this next phase of life. I mean, who has ever heard of a pregnancy lasting for 18 months? This is 18 months I've been waiting. And, and two months ago, we, we found out that we've, we've, been, we've been, I don't know what word you want to use, kind of matched with this beautiful five-month-old little girl from Ethiopia. So beautiful. She's way over there. And we're way over here. And, and for us to bring this girl home, oh man, it seems like lots of more stuff has to happen. And we get so caught up in it every day. We're like, if we could just get her home, then we can move on to our next phase of life. But we have life to live now. Doesn't mean you can't plan for the future. Doesn't mean you can't make effort to create what God has called you to do. But you are here now. You are in this phase now. Settle down. Settle down. Settle down. He's called you to this place in your life now. Settle down. That's what he's speaking to the Israelites. But look what he says next. He doesn't only call them to settle down, but he also calls them to grow in the city. Look at verse 6. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. So the Israelites, they're in the land of Babylon and their mentality is, is that, you know, right now we're going to put everything on hold until we get back to the land because Hananiah, the false prophet, told us we'd be back there in two years. So until then, we're not going to get married. We're not going to have kids. We're going to put everything on hold until we can get out of this mess and back to our land. But did you catch that last phrase in verse 6? Multiply there and do not decrease. God viewed their time as sojourners as a time to grow. And it's not just physical growth in numbers, but it's also a spiritual growth. Let me give you a quote from this gospel and life study we're going to do this week from Timothy, Timothy Keller. He says this, this means that they are to get stronger and more numerous, but it also means that they are not to lose their unique identity. They must stand firm in their faith. 
So the idea is they weren't to be absorbed into the surrounding culture by marrying pagans or caught up in foreign customs that, that would water down their beliefs, but they were to stand firm and grow. One of the main purposes of the exile from them being taken to Babylon is to discipline them in their waywardness and bring them to a point where they are seeking God and growing. It's in the text here. Look at verse 10. This is great. Look what God says to them in verse 10. For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. You've probably, you've heard this verse before, right? This next one. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for wholeness and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. So we see from this that one of God's specific purpose of their time as sojourners in the land of Babylon was a time for them to grow in the Lord. How do you view your time here as you're moving on to this next phase of your life or moving on somewhere else? I mean, do many of you view your spiritual life right now in this phase of your life, it's a time to just stay neutral? You've come here, you've got to crank out the hours, you've got to crank out the classwork, you've got a lot of stuff to do with this phase in life, and so you are thinking in your mind that you're going to be spiritually neutral by the time that you're done. That once you move on to the next phase, then you can pick up your prayer life. Once you move on to the next phase, then you can be totally devoted to the Lord. But what does God tell the exiles in Babylon? He says, I brought you to Babylon. And one of my purposes in bringing you there is that you will seek me with your whole heart. You will pray. You will not wait till you get back to the land to seek me. You will not wait till you get back to the land to grow in prayer. You will do those things while you are a sojourner. And so if you're single and you're thinking, once you move on to the next phase of life, your married life, then automatically you're going to switch. There's going to be this switch that kicks in where you'll seek the Lord even more. For all of you who are married, you know it really works like that, right? No, it doesn't work like that. You're mistaken. You're mistaken. There is no automatic switch. If you're a single person who's not seeking the Lord, then you're just married and you don't seek the Lord. And so if, 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 a, if a wife says, I just don't know why my husband won't spiritually lead me. He never led himself. There was no pattern established there. And if you're married and you're starting to have kids, you know, we got a lot of babies running around in this church and crawling around, whatever they're doing. They're babies all over the place. And, and, if, and if you're thinking, you're thinking, I'm going to grow once the baby phase is over because it's driving me nuts. Or I'm going to grow once this elementary school phase is up. Or I'm going to grow once my kids get out of high school and then move on. It, it, it's, like, it's like you think that once they walk across the stage and go off to college, revival breaks out. <laughs> it's not the case. 
That is not the case. We, we, we don't need to wait for this next phase in life and automatically things are going to switch on and we're going to grow. God has called us and ordained this phase in your life right now for your spiritual growth. Right now. Not the next one. This one. And you may say, yeah, but it's really hard. I know. The next one will be hard too. This is the time to grow. And, and, and this is what this means. You need to start dealing with stuff. You need to start dealing with some struggles you're having. You need to start dealing with some of the sin patterns in your life. Don't think that I have an addiction right now and I'm just going to put that addiction, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold on to it and then I'll, I'll, I'll get victory over it later. No, you need to deal with that addiction now. For those of you who have anger problems, you think, I'm going to wait until the next phase to deal with my anger. No, deal with it now. And the, and the most famous one I hear, and you've probably said it before, is that I'll be more generous with my money when I get more of it. And then the next phase happens, you're like, oh, I still have that addiction. I'm still angry. And I'm not very generous. God has ordained this phase in your life right now to deal with stuff. To deal with it. Do not wait. Deal with it now. And, and not on your own. We have, God has ordained this community to come around you and help you work through stuff. Uh, it, in fact, these ethos communities are about helping you no matter what phase in your life to deal with stuff and work on stuff. Now is the time during this sojourn, during this phase of your life, to grow. If anybody had an excuse to not grow, it was the Israelites. And God said, no, I brought you there. And that's where you're going to grow. So he brought them there to settle them down. He called them to grow. But look at this last part. He also called them to seek the city's peace and prosperity. Look at verse 7. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now here's the invested part of the invested sojourner. It says the Israelites were to seek the welfare of the city. That means the peace of the city, the prosperity of the city. And they were to pray for Babylon. And in, their, in the city's welfare is their own welfare. Did you catch that last phrase in verse 7? For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. What? Like in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Really? God is making this connection between how they treat this pagan city and their own prosperity. Have you ever seen that there before? Maybe you've read that before. You've never seen that before. So this means they're not supposed to hate the Babylonians. They're not supposed to resent the Babylonians. God's saying, uh-uh, bless them. And as you bless them, you're going to be caught up in the blessing. Well, well, did that work for the Israelites? Well, I think it did. Because they sent out and they, got, they infiltrated different forms of government and society, as we know. And apparently they must have been uh, a somewhat of a blessing because they had a certain amount of leverage 
that enabled them many years later to return to the land. So they sought the prosperity of Babylon. They were caught up in the Babylon prosperity and they were able to return to the land. But I want to think about it for us. Can you imagine a church investing in a city and the city giving us favor because we're seeking to bless them? They're not always trying to run us off and the only thing that would be an obstacle to our city would be the cross of Jesus Christ. Could we bless our city so much that we would be thought of positively and hated only for our message? Not for our lives. Not for hypocrisy. But only for the cross of Jesus Christ. And they would look at our lives and they would say, they see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Which it says in 1 Peter 2.12. So I've been really thinking about this. I've been wanting to share something with you for a while. I've been thinking about the concept of invested sojourners when most of you spend most of your lives at work. Most of your lives are at school. And you cannot, during school or during work, actively share the gospel. You can do that on your breaks, after work. So how can you do your work in such a way as an invested sojourner? We talked a few weeks back about, remember viewing Christ as more important in your work? Remember that? Viewing making uh, money not as important as Christ? Remember that? We talked about that. But I've been wanting to share this with you. I learned it this summer from this guy named James Davidson Hunter, who wrote a book called To Change the World. And he's trying to get Christians to infiltrate their work with this concept of affirmation and antithesis. That you would do your work where you affirm the good that you see at your job, the common grace that God has given to human beings made in the image of God, and yet you would also do your work understanding the fallen nature of humans, the sin, and you would seek to correct things at your work that are not quite right and offer a positive alternative. So could you imagine going to work tomorrow with this idea of affirmation and antithesis? Let's say you work at an architectural firm and the people there are, are so creative. Where do you think they get that? Well, they're creating the image of God. And so you go around and you are an encourager at work. I don't know if all of you are encouragers at work, but you should be. You should encourage the positive things you see. So at your architectural firm, you go around and you encourage people as they're doing their work. You say, that's great. You're affirming them in this, in this grace, the grace of God. But as you're going around affirming people, you also have this antithesis because you see people are cranking out the hours. And, of course, you're expected to do the same, work all these hours because we've got to make more money. We've got to bring in more business. We've got to have this, this product that we keep cranking out. But you notice as people are cranking out the hours, the, the, the creativity is going down. And so you approach your bosses and say, look, it's great. We're creative. It's awesome. But look at us. We're weary and our creativity has gone down. Our product is not looking as good as it, as it did in the past. We need to create some system where we can work a little bit less so that we can get our creative mind going again. And they're like, that's a great idea. And they implement it and what happens? Less hours, greater creativity. You get caught up in the blessing because you lived your life. Affirmation, antithesis. What if we did the same in our neighborhoods? What if we did the same in our schools? And obviously, what if we did the same in our work? 
rather than being the Christian who complains all the time about work, are, are you that Christian? Always griping about your work. I hate my work. Too many hours. Don't be that person. That's terrible. Do not do that. Don't be. That's what everybody else is doing. Don't do that. What if you seek to be an invested soldier? You're going to invest. You're like, man, but I, I work at Starbucks and I'm moving on to a real job one day and I'm at Starbucks right now. I don't want to invest. Wrong mentality. God has you at this job right now. When you go to work tomorrow, that's your job. It's your time to invest no matter what. But don't forget the greatest peace and prosperity and welfare that you can bring to your city is in gospel sharing. Do not forget to proclaim the gospel. Do not forget to use words. They're going to respect you because you do not complain. They're going to respect you because you're an encourager. But when the opportunity comes to speak, don't bow out. Proclaim the gospel. Won't always be received well. Not all your jobs are going to pat you on the back. Not all your schools are going to say you're doing a great job. But you know what? If you set out with your life to invest in others, to bless them, I guarantee you God will bless you. God will bless you. Would you not agree that some of the greatest and most affirming time in your lives, some of the most encouraging times in your lives, some of the most rewarding times in your lives are when you were investing in other people? Would we all agree? So the best times of your life is when you're investing in other people. My wife went to college at University of North Texas in Denton, Texas. While she was there working on her degree, she decided to take some time and to invest in some high school girls. Now, if you've ever been a high school girl, you know life is hard then, right? And these high school girls were no different. They, were, they had some messy lives. But my wife had the opportunity to disciple them. She had the opportunity to help lead one to the Lord. She had the opportunity, one of the girls got pregnant, and she had the opportunity to counsel her to have the baby, not have an abortion. I mean, my wife could have the mentality, you know, I'm here to go to college, I'm here to get a degree, and I'm here to move on. Do you think that God just brought you here to get a degree do you think that God brought you here just to give you a job? Do you think God brought you here just to live in an apartment, some random apartment? Do you really believe that? God, in his sovereignty, has placed you right where he has you, in the perfect spot at your job, where you live, at your school. And he's ordained a purpose for you to invest in other people. Now, not later, right now. It's God's ordained purpose for you. So we are a church made up of sojourners. The whole worldwide church is made up of sojourners, right? But we really feel it. Because the turnover is massive. And, and don't think that I'm, I'm talking necessarily to college students. Because some of the college students can stay much longer than the families. The turnover is massive. It's happening all the time. We feel this concept of sojourner. And so when I talk to people about our church, it's like they almost feel sorry for me. How can you pastor such a church? Don't you want to move on to another church where people actually stay? How do you, and then they say, how do you even function as a church? And I'll say, it's historically been our ethos. 
It's historically, historically been our culture where people come here and they jump in and they invest in one another. I love it when I see people of different generations investing in different generations, different life phases investing in one another. I, I love it. I, I love when I hear stories of a college student. I don't know if he's here today. He was, he's not in college anymore, but he jumped in to one of our communities as a freshman. And he stayed all throughout college. And now he's a big boy, has a job in the city, still going to the same community here at this church. He is being invested in by older people, and he is also investing in them. If you're a college student, you may think I'm joking. You may think I'm joking. But if you're a college student, I need you to invest in me. I'm serious. I'm an old man. I am losing passion and zeal. Give me some. I need you to invest in me. I need that. I need to be around that. I need to be encouraged by that. Come, come hang, please. But for those of you who have been around for a long time and you are, you are here, I mean, you are here. Your next move is with Jesus. You know, you're not moving around. You're staying here. You're long-term here. You are here. And, and it may, you, you may grow weary of the turnover. It may be like, oh, it's just wearing on me. People come, people go. Oh, it's just killing me. But just, just keep remembering this. God's heart is for the sojourner. You'll see it in verses throughout the Bible. God's heart is for the sojourner. And besides that, you're a sojourner. And the image I want to give you is just imagine, especially for those of you who have kids, okay? You have kids, they go off to college, they're freshmen, they get there, they call you on the phone, they say, Mom, Dad, I just went to church. And you're like, yes, they went to church, that's awesome. It's like, yeah, but there's one problem. The adults there won't talk to me. They know I'm just a student. I'm not going to be here long. So they're like, oh, I'll be nice to you, but don't. Just stay away from me. Would that not break your heart? Yeah? Would that break your heart? That's God's heart for the sojourner. God has a heart for the sojourner. And we all are sojourners. And we are called to invest in one another. We're called to invest in our city while we're here. My brothers and sisters, God has placed you here for his glory, for his ordained purpose at this time. And this is all we know. Live right now for his glory as an invested soldier. Let's pray. Lord, you do not make mistakes. It, it may even be our sin who brought us here. But you're still sovereign in control and you can work good out of the evil that we have planned for ourselves. It may be because of our sin that you brought us here for a season of discipline, of waywardness. And Lord, we're here open. Grow us. Some of us may want to escape this phase of life. It's too hard. Maybe we're caring for someone that seems impossible. Like, I don't want to care for them anymore. But Lord, grow us. May we not try to squirm out of this season of life, but just stay put and be faithful. Let you grow us. May not be so anti, trying to run around everywhere, trying to move on, move on. Lord, help us to settle down and to invest, to bring you praise, honor, and glory. In Christ's name, amen.